You are listening to a sermon by Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church in Escondido, California. For more information about New Life, visit us online at newlifepca.com. That's N-E-W-L-I-F-E-P-C-A dot com. Today we're going to talk about uh, the shepherds um, and, and the events around the shepherds. I uh, you know, I, I, I always am, a, you know, a little bit, not reluctant, but f- fearful of doing this because this has been so sentimentalized. When I, when I say shepherds, I, I fear that a lot of you are thinking about, you know, kids in bathrobes uh, in nativity plays or Linus reading this account uh, in... Uh, um, Charlie Brown Christmas, um, or you're thinking about cute little lambs or whatever. We, we've sentimentalized this event uh, so much that it has lost its edge, I, th- I fear, for a lot of us. So try to hear it with new ears uh, today, okay? This is Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20, probably the most familiar words Uh, regarding the Christmas event. Everything we've done now in the Advent season up up to this point has been a prelude to the birth. Now we're we're at the birth itself. We're going to be looking at the birth itself and the the immediate witnesses to it beyond Jesus' mother, Mary, and his stepfather, Joseph. Okay, Luke 2, 1 through 20. If you don't have a Bible, it's printed there in your bulletin for you. Please listen to God's word. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. 
And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. This is God's word for us today. Let's pray. Refresh us now, yet again, Father, with the good news of great joy. And we pray in our Savior's name, Jesus Christ, our Lord, whose birth we remember today. Amen. You actually can still see them in Israel today, talking about shepherds. I remember on my first trip to Israel, I remember my first sighting of shepherds from the bus. My first thought was, wow, things really haven't changed much in you know, 2,000 years. Shepherds, sheep. Uh, my second thought, as I took a longer look, was, wow, this is a really hard life. They were living in ramshackle shacks made out of tin and plywood and plastic tarps. It was dirty. Uh, no modern conveniences. And it's interesting, though, off, so though sometimes you could see them, as I did, from a highway or, or a road, um, it's obvious that these are people that are out of the mainstream of life in Israel. They were 2,000 years ago. They still are today, right? Even though you can see them from the freeway, there they are in those shacks. No technology, no bathrooms, no money. You know, virtually homeless, you know, looking, obviously, no power or influence uh, in, in Israel. And my third thought, as I continued to stare at them as we drove by, and it's to people like this that God announced his coming to earth. That's remarkable. Think of all the, as you're driving through Israel and seeing all the people and the, the, the churches and the temples and, and who does God choose? The shepherds. Probably not the people I'd pick. It, it shows you, doesn't it, just how upside down uh, our, 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 our values are, our, our self-concepts are. Jesus grew up to say it himself. He says, you know, I didn't come to, uh, to heal the, the, the people that aren't sick. Right? I didn't come for the self, people who think they're self-sufficient, think they're, you know, they're righteous enough. I came for those people who, who know they aren't. And people like shepherds have, you know, no, no pretensions of, of power or sufficiency. They know they need a Savior. 
Well, you know, 20 verses, there are layers to this event, right? We, we, could, uh, we could unpack much more than we can today. I've, I've dealt with this passage many times in the previous 20 years. Lord willing, we will have other Christmases where we can further unpack it. What I want to do this morning is, is, is look at a few of the characters in this, in this event and, and try to pull out from, from those characters just a few lessons, few truths that I hope and pray will deepen our understanding of Jesus and, and better help us respond to Jesus in, in ways that are appropriate and right. So we're going to look at Caesar Augustus and then the angels and then finally the shepherds. Okay, Caesar, the angels, and the shepherds. So first, Caesar Augustus. Why does Luke open up this, his account saying, in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. You know, it's interesting. For a long, long time, centuries, uh, the Bible was criticized for, for mentioning Quirinius, governor of Syria. No record of him, no record of anybody with a title like that governing Syria. And then the archaeologists started finding stuff. And we now know that that's attested and that he was indeed um, the governor of Syria exactly when Luke said he was. So why does he, why does he, he, he give us this, this, this opening? Well, I think for at least two reasons. Right? First, it's a time stamp. Now, the seminarians are familiar with this because of just very recent history, right? You've just completed your term and you've had to turn in papers. And I think it's still true. It was true in my day, in the olden days, uh, that you turned in a paper at the office of the seminary and, and the receptionist would time stamp it. Boom. Now, so much of this is virtual now. I think the computer does that. Same thing, right? A timestamp. But what, what's, what's the timestamp there for? Well, it tells who's ever grading your paper that this paper was delivered at this place at this time, right? It lets you know whether the, your paper was on time or whether it was late. That's what Luke's doing here. It's a timestamp. He's telling you this is history. It's not fable. It's not fantasy. He's, he's in effect saying the events that I'm going to tell you about right now happened at this place and at this time. Right? Christianity turns on real history. It depends on events that happened in history. Now, there are a lot of religions that look back to historical figures, prophets, teachers, uh, and, but, and they taught, and there's now a record of their teaching, and, and, and what the religion now is, involves is following that teaching. But Christianity is much more than that. Christianity, of course, has its central figure, Jesus. 
but it's uh, who taught and we have some of his teaching here and it's important but but Christianity also turns on events that involve Jesus his virgin birth right his Ro his his crucifixion on a Roman cross his resurrection from the dead if those things didn't happen there's no Christianity and Luke is saying what I'm telling you is history and here's when it happened here's where it happened okay that's the first thing it's a timestamp the second reason I believe Luke set it up this way is that he is showing you, he, he's meaning to show you a contrast between two kings. Between the king that sin produces, Caesar Augustus, and the king that love produces, uh, Jesus Christ. You know, Caesar Augustus, that wasn't his name, his name was Octavius. He, he, he took on titles he had a number of titles and and what he did was whether he knew it or not he he blatantly hijacked titles of God titles that had been ascribed to Jesus centuries before Jesus came on the scene in fact it is so remarkable what Caesar Augustus called himself that it almost explains to me i've often wondered you know why did why did god choose this time to to, to come into earth history you know why israel two thousand years ago one reason may be that there was a human being who had the arrogance to think he was God. <laughs> Caesar Augustus, you know, Augustus was actually a title. It was given to him by the Roman Senate. Uh, that title means something like majestic or eminent or um, venerable. It was in, in, in their vocabulary, Augustus was often contrasted with Humanus. Right? Humanus was everybody. Augustus was you were you were above everybody. You were a different order of human being. He was called son of a god. It was minted on his coins. I'd forgotten this one. He was called Pontifex Maximus. The high priest. The great high priest and he was also hailed throughout the occupied world as the prince of the Pax Romana the Roman peace it's it's uncanny isn't it those of you who know the titles of Jesus I mean this Caesar Augustus took these titles on himself but could there be two more different kings? Right. By the time Luke wrote his history here, both Augustus and Quirinius were dead. They'd left behind a history of uh, 
remarkably adept and efficient administration, but brutal administration, top-down rule. They use their power to make themselves big by stepping on the backs of little people. As Jesus grew up to describe it, remember, remember Jesus said the Gentiles, he was telling the disciples, you know, you want to be a leader? Don't be a leader like the Gentiles. What do the Gentiles do? The Gentiles lord it over people. That's a perfect description of Augustus. He lorded it over people. He used his authority to use people, to push people around, to get what he wanted. Joseph and Mary are, are a perfect example. Hapless pawns in this power game. Essentially sent on a forced march for purposes of taxation and military conscription. That's what censuses were all about. Augustus was consolidating his power. He wanted to better tax and he wanted to bet more efficiently build his army. There was no question at that time, at the eastern end of the Roman Empire, you serve the Roman Emperor, not the other way around. But the other king, right? The king that was born that night, son of God, the great high priest, the prince of peace, Jesus Christ, he was already doing what Caesar Augustus would never do. He was already making himself small to make small people like Joseph and Mary and the shepherds and me and you significant. The king that love produced did not come to be served, but to serve. And most importantly, at the time of the writing of his history, uh, Luke's writing of his history, Jesus, though he had been killed by the Roman Empire, was still very much alive. As he remains today and forever. Which king do you want? Let me give you two quick applications of this for our time. First, it seems to me that this ought to make us remember that any government, no matter how powerful, how oppressive, how evil, how ungodly, how imperialistic, any government can only serve and advance God's will. That's good to know in our world right now. It's good to remember. Here Caesar Augustus issued a decree, a decree for a census that was designed to consolidate his power. But what he beautifully managed to do was ensure that the Messiah, 
the king of kings, the king to whom one day Caesar Augustus will be raised to bow his knee to in judgment. That census ensured that the Messiah was born in the city of David. That was important. The king, the promised king, was going to be a descendant of David. If he was going to be a descendant of David, he needed to come from David's city, Bethlehem. 700 years before Caesar Augustus was on the scene, it was prophesied that the Messiah would come from Bethlehem. And so he issues a census, an order for a census, and he ensures that the King of Kings is born exactly where he's supposed to be born exactly when he's supposed to be born. Remember, friends, there isn't a politician or a president, a king or an emperor that can thwart God's plan. They can only serve it. Whether they know it or not. That's our king. He's that strong, that powerful, that sovereign. Second application. Enlarge your perspective. You know, we get sort of blinders on. There's these chronological blinders. That sort of what we're going through is the worst thing possible. It's just an unprecedented thing. What we're going through right now in our nation is nothing new. In the first century, at the eastern end of the Roman Empire, first century Palestine, hovering over that region was a spirit of fear and division and racism. The Roman government was oppressive and brutal. Infanticide by exposure was common. People watched people kill each other for entertainment. Deviant sexuality was normalized and celebrated. People were following various self-proclaimed messiahs. And even among godly Jews, there was no agreement as to how to deal with this. And that deep division was reflected in the, in the very men that Jesus chose to be his disciples. Good grief, he had Simon over here who was a zealot who was, who was all for military and terrorist action against the Roman Empire, and you had Matthew, a collaborator who made, who made money off of the Roman Empire. Don't be wringing your hands in fear today, friends. God chose to come into a time. He had Jesus Christ, His Son, born into a time just like ours. That's when God moved into the neighborhood. This is when he does his best work. So don't be afraid. Be encouraged. So much for Caesar Augustus. Let's look at the angels. 
Lot to say about the angels too here, much more than I can say. For sure we need to supersize our um, images of angels. I saw those shepherds in Israel. I see what a a real shepherd looks like. They're, They're strong, they're big, they're dirty. The kind of guy you probably want to, wouldn't want to meet in an alley somewhere, right? Listen, fat, flying babies aren't going to scare them. The shepherds, I mean, the, 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 the angels are soldiers. They're God's shock troops. They're like spiritual seals. Heavenly host is the, is the worst translation ever in our day. Heavenly host, what's a heavenly host? It's the army of heaven. Host means army. These, these are the ultimate protectors of the peace. I've told you this story before, right? Years ago, I, I made this point in another Luke 2 sermon. And it, and it destroyed this woman in our congregation whose, whose big hobby was collecting angel figurines. She had a lot of fat flying babies in her house, right? And I just totally destroyed her. So the next week she came and she brought me a G.I. Joe, you know, all dressed in fatigues, and she put wings on it. She goes, here's what you've done now to my image of angels. Beyond us needing to sort of get a new picture in our minds of what angels are like. Um, and by the way, it never says they sang. It says they said. Oh, it might have been like a chant or something, right? Um, let, let me just say two things. First, and you're, you're, you may tire of this point, but I'm going to keep making it because... The Bible keeps making it, and Christmas certainly makes it over and over again. The angels bring news, right? Not teaching, not a system, not a moral code. It's news. Good news, but it's news, right? They're telling us about something that has happened that's outside of us. A Savior has been born. Right? This, we've made this point, I think, every week. The essence of Christianity is an announcement that God has done something, not a prescription that you must do something. It is, at its essence, an announcement of what God has done in Christ Jesus. God, through the... Through the Perfectly through the virgin birth, the perfectly lived life, the substitutionary death, the death-blasting resurrection, and the glorious ascension of Jesus Christ to a throne where he oversees, rules over all his creation, God has solved through that Jesus the, the, the problem behind every one of your problems. Everyone. And that's sin. And that solution translates to joy and peace right now. Even though the times don't seem to call for it, 
followers of people who have faith or are leaning on Jesus, faith in Jesus, know joy and peace right now. Second thing, so they bring news. But what I want, want you to see also is that it's not just news. It's news that affects you personally. It's news that implicates you personally. It involves you by name. It would be like you getting up in the morning, getting the newspaper, and opening up the newspaper. Uh, wait a minute. A lot of you won't understand that. Or, or, you know, getting up in the morning, opening up your laptop, going to your preferred news site, and you're reading a news story that has caught your eye, and all of a sudden you're reading your name. You're implicated by name in this news story. That's what I, how I want you to perceive and understand Christmas, because that's, that's true about you and Christmas. Listen to how Martin Luther put it. Martin Luther preached a sermon on this text 499 years ago, in 1521. Here's what he said. Therefore, the gospel does not only teach the history concerning Christ, but it enables all who believe it to receive it as their own, which is the way the gospel operates. Here's what, here is what, what he's saying. He says it's history, but it's not just history out there. It's history that is your own. Okay, then he goes on. Of what benefit would it be to me if Christ had been born a thousand times and it would daily be sung into my ears in a most lovely manner if I were never to hear that he was born for me and he was to be my very own. Have you heard that? Do you know you need a Savior? Do you know you need forgiveness? Do you know that Jesus is for you? If the answer is yes, then God's favor rests on you. God is well pleased with you. And you will have peace that surpasses human human invention, human understanding, even in the midst of all of the craziness right now. I need that peace. You need that peace. Okay, the shepherds. Again, we can't say everything about them, but let me just again highlight two truths about them that I believe are relevant and uh, important for you and for me today. Here, here's, the, here's the first, first point. Um, They obeyed, the, the, the shepherds obeyed 
the revelation they received and right they received this revelation from God through the angels they 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 received it they obeyed it and they ran to find Jesus and here's the point even though they were busy and afraid busy and afraid as i as i was meditating on the angels this week i i mean the shepherds this week i thought that you know they they make a big deal of uh the fact that they were very afraid they, it says they were the greek literally says they were filled with a they feared a great fear They're terrified but it also says that they were keeping watch over their flocks by night they were working right when they received this revelation they were busy and the revelation made them afraid and as I thought about that, it seems to me those two things, busyness and fear, are two of the biggest obstacles that you and I deal with. You and I have to kind of overcome in this life of faith of following Jesus. Busyness and fear. You know, in our culture, the American culture in particular, we, we applaud workaholics. We applaud workaholics for their commitment, for their work ethic, right? We have, we, we design, you know, work cultures that produce workaholism. I, you know, I, good part of my professional life was in a law firm. Right, it's for for lawyers in in large law firms. It's all about billable hours. Right, we make money selling time, uh, and you. So it was the, the the question would be, and I, I you know the the you know well what's the what what how many hours do you expect me to bill? And the partners would never give us that number. And, and when I finally became a partner and got, got behind the, you know, the door, well, why, you know, why don't we set, you know, a, a, you know, a, a expectation that, you know, every young lawyer bills X hours. They go, oh, no, we don't want to do that. If you don't, if you don't, if you don't set a number, they said all these crazy people will just look at each other and work harder and work harder and work harder and work harder, right? Because they're looking at each other and comparing themselves to each other. And we'll get a lot more hours out of them. Well, it's true. That's what we celebrate. That's what we, re 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 we reward. But listen, friends, if you're too busy to seek out Jesus, if you're too busy to obey Jesus, if you're too busy to love your spouse and your kids so that they will see Jesus in you, you're too busy. And I think that's a problem for all. It's a problem in the church. We can think we're spiritual, but we're, what we really are is insecure busybodies. You know, when, 
when God came to these shepherds, they weren't on a break. God came to them when they were on the job. They were, they were on the clock. They were working. They had sheep to be accountable for, and you can't just up and leave sheep, but somehow that's exactly what they managed to do. When it came down to it, in that moment, when the rubber hit the road, the shepherds realized that revelation is more important than work. And I'm going to run to the revelation. Can you say that? But I want you to also notice something else that's important. They also return to work. Verse 20. Right? This, don't, don't think that I'm, what, that I'm tr trying to tell you here that God is against work or, or that, uh, that God wants you, uh, you know, if you're, if, you're really, if you're really into Jesus, you ought to quit your job and do something spiritual. You are where God wants you to be right now. You are doing something spiritual. These shepherds got one of the greatest revelations in history, and at the end of the day, they're still shepherds. And that's good. They returned to shepherding, right? Not to health and wealth. They didn't become priests or monks. Or ministers they were still shepherds but this but what what were they doing now in addition to shepherding what while they're shepherding they're glorifying and praising God they're telling people what they saw and heard they they went about this the work the same work they're doing but now they had a whole different perspective on it they realized even as they're shepherding these sheep that we're written into a larger story god knows who we are and he's given us he's given me a savior that changes your perspective on work right it's a lot like what Jesus said when Jesus grew up, right? And, and at one point in his ministry, got in the boat, went across to the Sea of Galilee to the, to the Gerasene uh, region. And that's where he ran into that uh, pitiful uh, demon-possessed man, possessed by legion. That Jesus and Jesus cast the, the demons out of him and into the pigs. And, and the people saw... Uh, that the man, formerly demon-possessed man, sitting there, he'd been naked and, and now he was clothed and in his right mind and he was begging to go with Jesus. And what did Jesus tell him? No. He said, go home to your friends, tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. For most of us, that's exactly our calling, right? And that's good, and it's important.
So they didn't let busyness get in the way of running after Jesus, but they also didn't let their fear stop them, right? These men were, as I said, terrified. And you can understand, I, I suppose there were lots of reasons. One, they've, they've just run into this angel army. They've had this, you know, dazzling light shining around them. It's all been weird, but they also, and I suspect in part by that dazzling light of God's glory, I suspect they're afraid of what, of what God might see. You know, when you come into the presence of the holy, it's, it, it's, it's, you, you begin to sense how unholy you are. And I suspect there was some fear in that. I don't know what's going to happen if I get too close. I can easily imagine, you know, one of those shepherds saying, you know, I don't know what just happened. I don't know what that was. But I'm not getting involved. Uh, you go if you want, but I am staying away as far as possible. This is weird. It's scary. And I don't know what's going to happen to me. That's an understandable reaction to me. And what's fascinating is that it didn't happen. <laughs> as far as we know, all of them said, you know, they got together and they all agreed, let's go. We got to go see. And they ran off in a hurry to see Jesus. They didn't let their fear stop them. You know, we're, we're in a culture that is fear-driven, right? Um... I don't think anybody would deny that, that fear is a, is a big driver in our culture. Now, some of us will, uh, you know, disagree whether, you know, especially in, this, in the pandemic, right? People are accusing each other of being afraid of different things. Um, parenting is, it seems to me, increasingly... Uh, fear-driven, which, you know, I get. But it seems to have ramped up a lot even since I was a kid. You know, I love to tell the story. My parents are probably watching on the live stream. When I was, uh, when I was in middle school, my parents put me on a Greyhound bus in downtown L.A. to go by myself and visit family in Colorado and Missouri. And, and come back on a Greyhound bus. You know where those depots are? You think parents would do that today? Yeah, it's fear. Fear's driving us a lot, isn't it? I, I heard a, uh, a youth minister say at a conference, uh, he's commenting about... Uh, kids and, and he says you know young kids kids especially when they're young f all follow the same pattern and you guys who are parents been parents you are parent you know you're parenting little kids especially right now you 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 know this is true and the pattern is jump first and then be afraid every little kid's like that right that's why it looks like you know a bunker around my the, the pool in our backyard 
because kids will jump first and then be afraid. And I'm terrified about that. Uh, and so what we do as parents and what we do as a culture is we train that out of, out of people, right? So that we all are on board with the philosophy of be afraid and then jump. Be afraid first, then jump. And I get it. I understand that. There's a lot of wisdom there. Good grief. As a lawyer, I was paid to be afraid. That's why clients pay lawyers. They, I'm paying you to be afraid. You be afraid for everything that might happen to me and make sure it never does happen to me. That was my job. But here's the problem. If our fear ever pre prevents us from jumping, then, then we have a problem, right? Some of you will know Shel Silverstein, the late uh, poet, wrote um, Where the Sidewalk Ends. And he also wrote A Boy Named Sue, which Johnny Cash turned into a great song. Um, interesting poet. And I, I recently came across a Shel Silverstein poem that I'd never seen before. He's riffing on the Pied Piper fable. And, and the, the, the poem is, is a man speaking and, and recalling when the Pied Piper came into his town and, and a lot of his friends followed the Piper, but he didn't. He, 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 was a, he, he stayed back in, 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 the, in his town. And now as, as a man, he's reflecting. And at one point in the poem, he says, that the town grows old around me. And then in the very last stanza, you get this expression of, of what can only be poignant regret. It goes like this. I cannot say I did not hear that sound so haunting hollow. I heard, I heard, I heard it clear. I was afraid to follow. You guys heard the pipes of the gospel? Is fear holding you back from faith? Maybe placing your faith for the first time in Jesus? Is fear holding you back from faith in trusting in Jesus through, through a difficult time in your life right now? Be the shepherd. Swallow the fear. Run to Jesus. Run to Jesus. And what you will discover when you run to Jesus is the end of all fear. And why is that? Because perfect love casts out fear. And friends, Jesus is, and Christmas is all about, Perfect love. Run to Jesus. Merry Christmas. Amen. Let's pray.
Thank you for the witness of the shepherds. Lord, may we be like them, um, not letting our busyness get in the way, not letting our fears get in the way, of doing our jobs in such a way that we can, we, as we work, we glorify and praise you and tell those around us how much the Lord has done for us. May we be like that. Thank you for sending your son. Thank you for the good news of great joy that is for us, for each of us. May we remember and celebrate that this season in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church, Escondido. Please visit us in Escondido, California, or online at newlifepca.com. New Life Presbyterian Church, Escondido, reserves all copyrights as applicable by law. Thank you for listening.